All right. Thank you, Kristen. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? It's really good to see you. Um, welcome to Redemption Tucson. My name is Dave, and I'm the, uh, I'm the lead pastor here. It's uh, very good to see you. If you've never met me before and never heard me preach, I always want to make sure that I say this on the front end. I have a stutter, so just want to make sure that you know what that is so you're not wondering why is he speaking in choppy sentences? So that's all it is. So I have a speaking impediment. It'll kind of come and go. But I want to, again, make sure that you know that on the front end. And um, uh, we have a lot going on today. I do want to say that I want to take a moment. And um, I was going to have you all say like a, you know, give a hearty like yeehaw or something in, order, in um, honor of um, rodeo break. So uh, happy rodeo break. We have some, some uh, friends down here from Redemption Gilbert, and uh, they don't even know about rodeo break. Man, poor Phoenix. And, and so many levels. But um, no, they, so anyway, I do though want to use that to say when we have these kind of periodic holidays, and as we're still a young church, and different groups of people are kind of out of town at different times of the year, as you come, as you get in, I just want to encourage you, don't get too comfortable in that really old wooden seat, um, but to, you know, there are other wooden seats that you could sit in. So I want to just encourage that in the weeks ahead as time comes on, especially as the summer comes up to kind of move in and, you know, move into um, different seats and, and things like that. And um, also, by way of introduction, as we get started, I want to, um, again, just reiterate what Jared shared about different churches in Tucson, and we do that because we recognize that uh, Jesus is the head over his church. And there is one church, the big words that we sometimes read in the Nicene Creed says one holy Catholic church. That's not like the Catholic church. That word means universal. And so that's how we go out of our way to say um, Jesus is the head pastor. He is the head over his church. That's why we reserve that language. I am the lead pastor, not the head pastor. Jesus is the head over his church. And I say that not only because week in and week out, but we go out of our way to pray for other churches here in Tucson to be reminded of the participation with other churches that we get to have. But we also are a part of the universal church historically that has come under the headship of Jesus. And so I want to point your attention to the cross. Um, and specifically, there is a purple sash on the cross. And we put that up there last week. And each week until Easter, we will have that up there because we're in the season of Lent right now. And some of us, especially if you grew up in maybe evangelical Christianity, you might not know much of what that means. But this is a season throughout the year, um, every year, the church together for centuries has built anticipation and, and, and has declared our oneness together and our anticipation and excitement for Jesus. And so we did that over the Advent season, right? We built up our anticipation and excitement for Jesus. And so now we're in the season of Lent as we prepare for Easter, and, and we're excited for that. And this is a reminder for us to, um, to anticipate the, uh, the history-altering events of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I just want to um, make sure that you know what that is so we, we don't just do things just to do them. We don't just like the color purple so we have it up there. But there is purpose and intentionality behind that. And um, with that, let me just say too, as, as we get ready for Easter, I want to, um, those of you who were here, let me just ask a show of hands. How many of you were here last Easter with us, with, at the time, 
we were Central Church Plant. Wow, that's, um, yeah, so yeah, there are a number of you who are here, and you remember it was a really fun time for us. It was, we had a service, we met in this crazy warehouse, and we only met once a month together like this corporately, and we had our biggest Sunday ever, which was not even close to where we are right now today. And if you remember, there was a train, we were right next to the train tracks, and right when we talked about the victorious resurrection of Jesus, the train came, and we all hollered and yelled, and it was a fun time. Well, there's not a train that's going to be coming here, hopefully, if that's the case, that'd be bad, this Sunday, this Easter. But I do want to remind you, invite your friends, invite your family, Um, that'll be a a fun time, a fun celebratory time for us to to talk about the, um, again, the history-shaping reality of Jesus raising from the dead. So all that to say, we're going to get into Mark again. So meet me over in Mark chapter one, if you will. Um, but while I, while I explain where we're headed today, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, hold your hand up high, please. Someone will get you one. So I want to make sure everyone has a Bible that you can read along and follow along. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. This is our gift to you. Okay. We want to make sure, keep this Put your name in it, underline stuff, write question marks. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible. Um, also, si necesitas en español, tenemos. So that's as far as I can go. But if you need it in Spanish, um, please say that, and we'll get you a, a Bible in Spanish and English as well. So let me tell you where we're headed, okay, before we dive in, because we have a lot to cover. We were in four verses last week, and you'll see that we're in, like, uh, more than that. We're in a lot of verses this week, verses 21 through 34. And so where we're headed today is we're going to look at and see the authority of Jesus. Okay, the author Mark the, of the gospel, according to Mark, he's been really intentional not just to say, isn't Jesus great? Let me tell you about Jesus. No, right? We start with the question, who is Jesus? And how do you respond to him? And Mark declares from the very beginning, Jesus is the good news, God the Son, ushering in his kingdom and calling you and me to respond to him. And rather than just telling us about Jesus, he shows us Jesus. So we get kind of to enter into this incredible story of seeing Jesus's authority displayed. And Jesus displays his authority and he teaches with authority. And then we see Jesus ruling with authority. And then we see Jesus restoring with authority. And so that's where we're going to be Today And as always, we're expecting that God will lead us through his word to responding appropriately in worship and in faith to the incredible news that Jesus is God the Son and he is ruling and teaching and restoring with authority. Okay, so let's pray in anticipation for God to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time We thank you that we can come together and gather together as we've been reminded that even our gathering together is a a display, a reminder of your restorative work that we naturally move away from one another. We naturally choose isolation and hiding. But because of Jesus and his grace, because of the good news that you have pursued us so that through Jesus's death, and resurrection, we can be restored, restored to you and restored to one another. And Lord, yet I confess that so often in our lives we don't live in reality of Jesus's authority. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts right now through the power of the Holy Spirit to 
see the authority of Jesus and to respond and to have our lives shaped by your good news so that we can truly say all of life is all for Jesus because of Jesus' grace-filled authority. So we're anticipatory right now that you will work among us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, meet me. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Let me ask you, when is the last time you were truly amazed? Right? These people were amazed. They were astonished at the teaching of Jesus. That word is more um, like awestruck, dumbfounded, or the literal translation means thunderstruck. Right? Lightning strikes and thunder roars and you can do no other than to stop and to notice. When's the last time you were astonished or amazed? I think as we get older, sadly, we're less amazed, less astonished. Even in our Christianity, we can become inoculated to the wonder of Jesus. We hear these things and just kind of go on and roll on. But these people, in hearing his teaching, were stopped in their tracks. I was at a soccer game last night with my, my son, my, my seven-year-old son. We went to got to see the MLS soccer was here in town and had an incredible time with some friends. And just his wonder and amazement that he actually thought we were going to watch soccer on TV. And he was so excited. I know some of you might not get that. He was so excited to spend like five hours watching soccer on TV. Then when he found out it was going to be live, he was blown away. And then he was like, Dad, I think those guys right there are players. And I was like, no, they're only kids. And then later found out they actually were players and they were kids. So that shows my age a little bit. And um, so we got to, he was just blown away at so many things. And some of my friends just took their kid to Disneyland. Actually, Jared, as he shared, and he, and he talked about um, when I was asking him how that trip went, he was like, you know, I, I remember it being bigger. I remember rides being faster and being more scared. But his kid was in awe still. See, but Jesus, what we don't grow out of being in awe, being thunderstruck with his authority. And it says, right, that these people were astonished. They were thunderstruck. They were amazed because he taught them not like one of their scribes, but as one who had authority. And let me say, this is not a knock on the scribes, okay? We probably read that and are like, yeah, the scribes were probably bad teachers. They just got sick of it. And Jesus shows up and he was an eloquent speaker and they really responded to his speaking. But that's not the case at all. Let me just quickly explain who scribes were, okay? So there were these synagogues. If you know anything about Jewish history, there's the temple where the sacrifices were made, and then there were synagogues where people would gather together like we are here. They would gather together to hear God's word read. They would read from the Torah or the law, and then they would expound on it. And these were incredibly gifted men called scribes. And they had authority because they would read the, um, the law of God, and they would expound on it and have wisdom. So they were really good, right? These guys had game, okay? They weren't like bad communicators by any means, but Jesus was different. 
Because Jesus taught them as one who had authority. And again, we need to do some work sometimes as we read the scriptures. We need to go back to the Hebrew world that these people would understand. And this language used, authority, again, literally means from the original stuff. It's where we get the term author. Jesus, the author of the word, taught them not as one who knew a lot about God's word, but one who was God's word. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John's introduction to who Jesus is. Not just one who knew a lot about the Scriptures, but one who was the author of the Scriptures. Or Colossians chapter 1, if you remember, we spent four weeks in Colossians chapter 1, and we learned that all things were made through Him and for Him. That's Jesus. So when Jesus speaks with authority, he's not just telling you a lot of things. He's not just a guru. He's not just an example that we wear a bracelet. What would Jesus do? And we read some teachings and we decide whether or not we're going to change our lives according to his teachings. But instead, we see that Jesus teaches as the author of all things. Jesus is not just a good example, right? Jesus is the author of the whole story of God. And he's also the hero. And that is good news. And so these people are dumbfounded. They are awestruck at the authority of Jesus. And then Jesus takes it a step further. Pick up with me in verse 23. As we see Jesus now ruling with authority. And just, you know, we're going to camp out here for a while. So if you get a little confused at some of the stuff that we're going to read, we're going to spend some time here because I think it warrants that. So pick up with me in verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. All right, let's just be real, okay? This is where church gets weird. Okay, if you're new to church, if you're not from a Christian background, I just want to be real on the front end. This is maybe some of the weird stuff that you hear about in Christianity and that sadly too often we want to kind of blow over. And when we're talking about demonic stuff, when we're talking about Satan and demons, um, we, we fall into one of two extremes. In fact, let me read a quote from author C.S. Lewis, who says this, and I think many of us fall in one of these two extremes here today. He says this, the quote will be up here from C.S. Lewis. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. That's taken from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Headers. For me, I um, read that my junior year of high school, and it was one of the most profound, helpful books for me in my young faith 
as a Christian, and it really shaped me. And just the backdrop of that is C.S. Lewis, the author, really creatively writes about demons, and he and he kind of creatively explains it to um, to be a conversation between a young demon and an old demon, and he does it to expose us, the reader about how demons function and what their role is. In the very beginning, he gives that quote to say there are two extremes that we tend to fall in. And one extreme that I think most of us in our post-enlightenment kind of version of Christianity today where we're really logical and we just want to think about what makes sense intellectually, we don't want to recognize demons in any way and we just kind of go on, as he said, to disbelieve completely. On the other extreme, you get more typically in more maybe really extremely charismatic churches that get really focused in on demons and, you know, you have this high understanding of, you know, demonic theology and you've read every book and you have all these ideas and stuff and you become obsessed with it. But the point, most importantly, the point of C.S. Lewis and more importantly, the point of God is not for us to focus on demons but to understand Jesus more clearly in his authority in relating with demons. Okay, so as we're going to take some time now, because I'm your pastor, because I love you, because I think too often we shy away from these kind of weird subjects, we are going to kind of, kind of unearth a little bit about demons, who they are, what, how they function in our lives, so we can be aware, so we cannot be blinded like ostriches in the sand and kind of just going along on this extreme of acting like there's nothing, you know, kooky or weird out there like demonic opposition. But, but, hear me, look at me, it always, always comes back to who is Jesus? And how do we respond to him? And the answer to that is Jesus is authoritative. That Jesus is ruling with, with his authority. And so as we read these things, the focus is to be in awe of Jesus. Okay, but let me explain just a bit who, who are demons. Okay, in short, demons are created beings. Okay, they're, 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 they're fallen angels. So they're, they're angelic beings that were created by God with a purpose to serve God, to de- declare and proclaim the goodness and the, the wonder and the authority of God. And yet Satan, being an angel himself, Lu- Lu- Lucifer, the angel of light, said, I, I, I don't want to do that job. Um, I, and, he, and he rebelled against God. And, and, and it says a third of the angels rebelled as well, and, and, and God authoritatively threw Satan and his followers, his minions, these demons, out of heaven. And their primary role is to um, oppose God and to oppose his people and to oppose the advancement of God's mission in establishing his perfect kingdom. And so we saw earlier, right, Jesus um, had interaction, Jesus fought with the demons, and he victoriously resisted them. And similarly here, you see a man oppressed by demons and possessed by a demon is convulsing and freaking out in the church, and Jesus authoritatively rebukes him. So that raises a couple of questions. Okay, one is this. Can, I'm a follower of Jesus. Should I be worried that right now I might, you know, be, become possessed by a demon and start flopping around and you know, break dancing on the floor and what's going to happen? Should I be worried about that? Let me, because that's a very real concern. And the answer is no. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. Hey, we just read that, right? That, that earlier when Jesus was baptized, he came out from the water and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove so that he is now indwelt with God the Holy Spirit. And that is the foreshadowing after Jesus' death and resurrection, he sends God the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. He sends God the Holy Spirit to now indwell his people, those who have put their faith in him. It's like this. If you had a container and you had... Um, pure water in it and you added salt water. Salt water and pure water cannot exist together. Right? The salt water now takes over. That, that water is now um, completely, no, even if it's just a little bit of salt water, the whole water now becomes salt water. Well, similarly, by placing your faith in Jesus, when God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell you, you are now indwelt. You are now completely taken over by God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit with a capital S does not share his dwelling with any other spirit. These spirits, these demons, are created beings. They're lowercase s. They're submissive, subservient, um, lesser spirits. So, So let me encourage you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you need not worry that you can be taken over by any other spirit. Because God the Holy Spirit now rules in you. However, we can be oppressed. Okay, so that is to be possessed, to be completely taken over. But we can be oppressed by demons. So usually in our, in our day right now, again, let's just kind of, let's be real here. We, we want to think like, come on, really? That doesn't show up. Like, what is this? Like the boogeyman's going to jump out from under the bed and try to scare you and you know and all i don't believe in that let, let me tell you um demons primary objective is to impede you not just to scare you so in our day right now we're a lot less likely to be um impeded by being scared right like the the best approach for a demon to impede us in our walk with god is to be lulled to sleep is to just kind of, kind of um, take in some of the demonic things that are going on under the level in our world today. Some, some whole systems, and I want to encourage you and, 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 and recognize these things are demonic. Things like pornography, things like human trafficking, um, perhaps even in its extreme like consumerism. And just some of these tendencies we have to be lulled to sleep in our faith in Jesus and being a follower of his and being a part of his kingdom. Demons don't want to jump out and scare us and show themselves and freak us out, right? They want to lull us to sleep. Now, if you've ever been to other parts of the world where, where, where they don't differentiate between the supernatural and the natural as much as us, Perhaps you've experienced some things or you've heard of people experiencing some things that are really scary. Maybe seeing someone possessed by a demon and, and kind of freaked out by that. Because um, and that's the best way to impede these people in their faith is to scare them. But more likely in our day, it's to lull us to sleep. But either way, let me remind you, demonic opposition is meant to impede us. And so the answer to how we fight this, this impediment It's to look to Jesus. It's to look to Jesus and His authority. It's to repent. Right? God the Holy Spirit who now indwells you reminds you of these things. And so 
The key for us is not to fall asleep. It's not to, 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 to set up shop over here and be like, demons don't exist. Nothing like this exists. I'm just going to surf the internet and look at pornography. I'm just going to define my life by consumerism and be lulled to sleep by what I can buy next and what can shape my life. Or I'm going to believe these lies that likely often come in the third person. It says, you're not good enough. God doesn't really love you. You need to do something else to earn God's love. And we're just sitting there hearing these third-person accusations being lulled away from life defined by Jesus and His love and His authority by demonic opposition. And as the Holy Spirit reminds us of these things, as is always the case, repent and believe. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the gospel. We are gospel-centered because that means all of life is only possible to be lived out through faith in Jesus, defined by the authority and the person and the work and the grace of Jesus. And now lastly, let me point something out as we move on from here. Again, what did I say is the whole point of this? It's to see Jesus. What does Jesus do here? Is it, is it a fight? Is this, this this big battle? You know, if you've read some different books or you've heard different people talk about it or you've ever been a part of a church where there's like exorcism going on or rebuking demons or things like that and a lot of people want to make a big show of it and it's like, you know, fireworks or if you've ever seen like, I don't know, the Smurfs or, you know, or maybe South Park. I don't know, uh, you know, where you see that's typically portrayed as this like tug of war between, you know, Satan and Jesus, or there's a little like demon on one shoulder and a little angel, and it's like this epic fight in this battle. Is that what happens here? No. What does Jesus say? Shut your mouth. Get, get out of, be gone. Yeah. Amen. That, our life is defined by Jesus and his authority. But let me ask you a question. Look at me. I want everyone to consider this question. How do you respond to Jesus? You're seeing him right now. But let me remind you that you can be afraid like the demons. You can be amazed and astonished like the crowds and still not have saving faith in Jesus. Okay, so when we hear, yeah, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I have intellectual knowledge of Jesus. Yeah, or I've seen some cool things. I'm amazed. I'm astonished. Or I'm kind of afraid of going to hell. I have a fear of God. That doesn't necessarily lead to responding by submitting and giving your life to and following Jesus. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? In Scripture, it says in James 2.19, you believe in God, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe and tremble. Again, intellectual belief or astonishment or amazement is not enough. But following Jesus and responding to His good character. Jesus is authoritative in His teaching. Jesus is authoritative in His rule. And that is good And then lastly, we see now Jesus is authoritative in his work of restoring. And that is good news. We see that Jesus in his character is good. And Jesus in his ability is powerful. So let's pick up and read 
as we continue to see the authoritative life of Jesus that shapes and defines all of us. Let's read in verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Let me just stop there and point out something that actually came up this morning. Someone was saying, you know, I've noticed the word immediately comes up a lot. Have you noticed that? Let me tell you, more than 40 times in this book, in these 16 chapters of the gospel account, the good news account of Jesus, the word immediately comes up more than 40 times. And there is intent, there's author's intent, there's purpose behind that. First and foremost, it is to show, in this case, that Jesus is not lagging. That Jesus has a purpose, that he is bringing his kingdom, and that is good news. And he's not waiting, he's not waiting for anyone else. That he is authoritatively ushering in his kingdom, and he's doing it on his time, and he's doing it through his purposes, and there's also a sense of immediacy that it should invoke in you and me. When I ask, how do you respond to Jesus? As we see this word immediately, there needs to be a sense of immediacy, not anxiety-inducing, but compelling. That being drawn or captivated by Jesus leads to nothing else than to rightly responding in worship, in confession, in faith. So there is an immediacy. And in this context right here, it's, it's fun. Actually, let's just continue to read because we'll see there's a purpose behind this language of immediacy. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And, be, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That language of the evening there is used right. And this is the evening. This is just another day in the life of Jesus. That morning, wake up. Well, what are we going to do? Today, Jesus, we're going to go to the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. And he teaches. How does he teach? With authority. And people are astounded. And then immediately he goes on again. And oh, he encounters a demon. And the demon starts convulsing. And what does Jesus do? He immediately deals with this demonic oppression and this demonic situation. And he casts out that demon authoritatively. And he takes care of things. And he casts him out. And he continues on in his purpose of building his kingdom, and then immediately his people, seeing him and his character, run to him for help. They say, my mother-in-law is sick. And does Jesus say, I've got bigger things to do. No, he immediately moves toward the woman in need, and he heals her. And then what happens? It's the evening. A day in the life of Jesus. How do you respond to him? Will you follow him? Again, the author isn't just telling us Jesus is amazing. Let me read to you from this scribe. No, we're seeing the authority of Jesus, and we're, we're, we're called to respond. A couple things there. First of all, let's just not overlook the fact that Simon, who's also Peter, all right? Don't get confused by that. Simon, Jesus changes his name to Peter, so when we talk about Peter, he's likely the one who tells all these stories, right? The author, Mark, was his student or his secretary, and Mark took down all of Peter's um, uh, uh, 
teaching about Jesus. And that's how we have the gospel according to Mark. But it's important to understand that Peter um, must really love Jesus because he asked Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. Right? I love my mother-in-law. Let me be clear. My mother-in-law is an incredible woman. She's godly. My wife is a lot like her. She's a great, incredible woman. But sometimes mother-in-laws don't have the best rap. You know, you don't have the best idea about your mother-in-law. There are jokes about this. But Jesus, we don't know the character here. But uh, he comes and says, "Um, Jesus, we have a problem. Can you help? Jesus is authoritative. He teaches. He's expounding on God's word as one with authority. People are in awe of him. And then Jesus casts out a demon with authority and people are amazed. And how do they respond? Are they like, wow, God, you're up there. You're far away. Yet he is also near. He's approachable. And his people come to him and say, can you help? My mother-in-law is sick. And we don't know if she is about to die. We don't know if she just has like a 101 degree temperature. We don't know. But either way, Jesus is, is compelled. He's moved with compassion. And he touches her. And he lifts her up. And she's healed right away. And how does she respond? She starts serving. That's important. I have to point that out. Because I always call, how do you respond to Jesus? This is a discipleship issue. The word disciple means a follower. And when we are week in and week out, week out, presented with the good news of Jesus, with the authoritative person of Jesus, we're called to respond. If you truly see and understand and respond to Jesus in faith, you are naturally compelled to respond. You can do no other, to serve, to love God, and to love others. And so you see, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is compelled to serve. She loves Jesus she loves others, and she starts to serve. And then what happens? Many other people come, and Jesus continues to heal, and he continues to rebuke demons. And lastly, what does he say? He doesn't permit the demons to tell anyone. That could be confusing, right? Why? Why wouldn't Jesus allow this? Is he shy? Well, why doesn't he do this? This comes back around full circle to where we started. Jesus is bringing about his mission. Jesus is the one with authority. Jesus will decide how his kingdom goes forward. Jesus will decide who gets to tell the good news of who he is and what he's doing. And he's not going to let some dirty old demons go out and spread the good news of who he is and what he's doing. That's an incredible privilege. When God invites you and me, when he calls you and me to go and to tell others about who he is and what he's done, that's an incredible privilege to, to, to share the good news of what we've experienced and what we've seen. And he's not going to let these demons do it. Jesus is the one with authority. Jesus is the one who decides how his kingdom will go forward. So I want to come back around and ask you, are you amazed by Jesus? We just sang amazing grace. Have you and I been lulled to sleep? Have lesser gods, idols, even demons lured us away from being captivated by Jesus? The point here as we respond is to see the authority of Jesus. Jesus has authority in his teaching. He has authority in his ruling. 
over the spirits and over all of life. And Jesus has authority in his work of restoring all that has been broken. So as we close and in, in, in prepare to respond and prepare to pray, I want to ask you, Will you pray now with me that, that God will, will, will ignite in us a big faith? That He will ignite our hearts and open our eyes to respond in faith to the authority of Jesus? To the good news that Jesus is in charge. The good news that Jesus is bringing His kingdom. The good news that Jesus has authority over all of life. And that defines how you and I live our lives. That informs what we mean when we say all of life is all for Jesus. So let's close and prepare to respond. And I want to invite you, as Paul will come up here and will lead us through our time of response, every week we have an opportunity to pray. I want to encourage you and ask you, let's pray together. Whether it be about um, not being captivated by Jesus and just praying that God would ignite that that faith in you, whether it be perhaps you've experienced demonic opposition in some context and you've never really known what to make of it or where to talk about it and you're like, I don't, I don't know where to do that. This is the place. Let's pray together. Let's together and individually respond to the good news of the authority of Jesus. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we've gotten to... Um, to see Jesus, not just to hear about Him, not just to sit there and have our ears tickled with um, different life applications and, um, or different things that we can learn and different intellectual exercises that we can go through so that we can believe or be astonished or be afraid and tremble like even the demons. The Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, by hearing your word and by seeing the good King, Jesus, through whom we have life, through whom we have hope, through whom we have faith, I pray that we will be compelled to respond. Or for some, perhaps for the first time, to give their lives to you, to say, I have not truly followed Jesus. I've just believed. I've just been amazed. I've just been astonished. But I haven't had saving faith. Lord, for others of us who've, been, who've grown inoculated, who've grown numb to your gospel, or who've been lulled to sleep, I pray that you will lead us to respond in faith, to lead us to be um, acutely aware of the opposition that we face of being impeded in our faith. Lord, for all of us, I pray that we will be restored, that we will live as your people, as your church, under your name, under your authority. Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.